Last week gave me a whole new perspective on sweet old people. What do you have for me this week? A hardworking family man is drawn into a dark fantasy world that devolves into cybersexing, catfishing, a toxic love triangle, and explosive violence. I'm Andy Cassette. And I'm Jesse Prey, and this is Love Murder. Hi, Jesse. Welcome back, everyone, to Love Murder. This is a podcast where human interest meets true crime, where not just the victims, but the perpetrators start as everyday normal people before being driven mad by lust, love, and passion. This case is definitely one of those circumstances. Oh, my God. I honestly cannot wait to get cyber-sexed to death with you tonight. <laughs> but first, just a couple of reminders about our social. You can find us at Love Murder Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And just simply search Love Murder Podcast on Facebook and you can find us there too. Also, a big thank you as usual to everyone who's been leaving ratings and reviews. If you enjoy Love Murder, please, please, please consider leaving us a rating or a review. Each one helps more people discover us and is greatly appreciated. Finally, a huge merci beaucoup for the Très Magnifique case suggestion this week from listener Eugenie. Eugenie discovered us from a post from the absolutely awesome Going West podcast and suggested the story of Tall Hot Blonde, which I am oh so excited to tell you the story of Andy. And I think it goes without saying by her rad, rad name, but Eugenie comes to us from France. French people have great taste. Also, regarding Going West, yeah, girl, I couldn't agree more. I have like a major lifestyle envy of Daphne and her dude right now living in their lovely country. Um, it's just goals on their Instagram. And all the episodes I've listened to have been so impressed with how thorough and detailed they've been. And you know I love a missing person case. Yeah, Daphne and Heath are amazing. Guys, definitely check out Going West. They're incredible. And they pick such interesting cases. Every single one of them I'm fascinated by. So definitely check them out. Okay. Are you ready for a scandalous tale of mistaken identity? Well, it's not really mistaken identity. He's a catfisher. (laughs) (laughs) Creepy dudes, online sex, and explosive violence. Yeah. I mean, I feel like before you got to explosive violence, that was literally like AOL in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. So this this takes place like uh, I think earliest 2005. So like 2005 to 2007. So we're talking like the beginning of Facebook and MySpace. So it's a little further along than the AOL days. Okay. But when we're talking about this, you will think it's AOL days because these people who are using these computers are just like, such noobs it seems like they're like in the 90s also when did catfish come out originally the documentary oh gosh i don't know so this might be like pre what the term catfishing was certainly it wasn't used in um the documentary I watched. So speaking of my sources, Tall Hot Blonde uh, was a 2009 documentary that I watched. And also, I'm sorry that I say documentary weird because I'm going to say it a couple times <laughs> throughout this episode. Is that an upstate <laughs> New York thing? 
I think it's just a me thing. Okay. People make fun of me about it all the time. Documentary. 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 Yeah. So it depends if I'm thinking about it. If I think about it, I say it correctly. If I don't, I'll say it documentary. There's also a really depressing 2012 Lifetime movie that I watched as well, which we will get into later with the Wikipedia fun facts, which I'm really excited to bring oh, that segment back. It back. Yeah, we haven't had a Wikipedia fun fact in a bit. Wikipedia uh, fun facts. Yeah, exactly. And then there was also a really good 2007 Wired article about this case by Nadia Labi. All right, let's jump in. Oh, wait, did you figure out when Catfish came out? When 2010. Did it come out? So this Ooh. is like right before, which is kind of juicy. So this is like yeah. OG Catfish. This is an OG Catfish story. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, I cannot thank Eugenie enough. I had no idea about this case before. So everybody sit back, buckle up, because you're <laughs> in for a pre-catfishing ride. Oh, my God. ASL. Yes, ASL. And we don't mean American Sign Language. <laughs> Although I do know a little bit. Of course you do. One dusty, warm September 2007 night in the parking lot of the Dynabraid factory in upstate New York, a Marine sniper stalked his target. The 22-year-old rival who had stolen his woman, a young, beautiful blonde named Jessie. Just past 10 p.m., the exhausted 22-year-old Brian, who went by the online handle Beefcake, <laughs> I know. Just I know. without any numbers, not like Beefcake 69, just Beefcake? No, just Cake de Boeuf. <laughs> also, I'm sorry, French people. <laughs> Je suis désolé. <laughs> so yeah, poor Brian. And also, we're about to we, – we shouldn't make fun of Beefcake here because he's about to get it. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> He clocked out of his long shift and made his way out to his prized possession, his truck. He stepped into the truck, and before he could even fasten his seatbelt, a man stepped out from the shadows, raised a thirty caliber rifle, and fired three shots in quick succession, hitting him fatally in the neck and upper arm. Just like that, a promising young student's life was snuffed out by a deeply disturbed man, ensconced in a dangerous fantasy life, and the online siren who had brought both men to their knees. This is a story of quiet desperation, catfish obsessive love, dark fantasy, and deadly deceit. It's a tale that asks the question, can we really ever know someone, especially when we meet that someone online? This is the totally effed up ballad of Marine Sniper and Tall Hot Blonde. I don't think you can trust anyone online. I was waiting for you to say that. I don't know like, how dark I'm, you wanted me to get, but I, I don't think you should ever trust anyone online. No, absolutely not. Especially if you don't video chat with them. Yeah, but I feel like – I mean, I guess you can't really catfish video chat now. But back in the not day, there really. wasn't really FaceTime or anything. Yeah, back in the day. I mean, this was a totally different era. Now, if you're talking to somebody and they say they can't FaceTime you, that's Run. ridiculous. Run. Run. Absolutely. Yeah, so this is like – this is literally pre-catfish, pre that term. So this is a, a tif, totally different era of the internet. How do you say catfish in Francais? Poisson de meow. De chat. Yeah, du chat. Poisson du chat. 
Yeah, we're going to lose our French audience just yeah. like that. <laughs> Once again, day for day. <laughs> I know. Okay, let's start talking about the principles in the story. Thomas Montgomery is a 46-year-old married father of two preteen girls. For the last 12 years, he has been working as a machinist at the Dynabraid factory in Clarence, New York, which is an industrial town near Buffalo, New York. So it's pretty depressing up there. It's very like much a factory town. Day in and day out, he punches in to stand by a machine and produce components for power tools. It's not the most lucrative or satisfying job, but Thomas would have had to take a pay cut to go back to training for a better position, and he really can't afford that and maintain the lifestyle for his family. So he sticks by his mindless job, coming home to a tired wife named Cindy, who also works long shifts as a nurse, and the two daughters who are the absolute lights of their life. So Thomas does the best to be a good community man, a great father, and a decent husband to his wife of 16 years. He teaches Sunday school, which we should all be wary of. We know, we know what that means. <laughs> yeah, we learned that in all my axes, that it can be dangerous. He becomes the vice president of his kids' swimming club, and he tries to walk their family dog, Shadow, and do other chores around the house to help his wife out. His rewards for a life lived with loyalty and, yes, tedium, are weekly poker nights with the guys from work, playing Texas Hold'em online at gaming site Pogo.com, and dominating the Dynabraid Euchre Tournament once a year. <gasps> Euchre! Andy and I love Euchre. Oh my god. I wonder how many of you guys know and love Euchre. It's really interesting because it's so regional. It's more of like a central upstate New York thing and a Midwest thing. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, which is so random. It's like mostly those two areas. I'm sure we have some listeners in those areas. So guys, if you love Euchre too, just like Andy and I do, please let us know on one of our socials or send us an email because it is always nice to find fellow Euchre fans. (laughs) Oh my God, I can't believe he plays Euchre. Yeah, and he's good at it. He's won two the last two years in a row at this point. He has won the entire company tournament. Wow. Who's Mm -hmm. his partner? I have no idea. Probably a guy who's distancing himself from him now (laughs) after it's all said and done. Actually, Andy and I get together for Thanksgiving every single year and we always play Euchre. Thomas has not achieved much since he dropped out of the Marines at a young age. Despite it being his lifelong dream, Thomas couldn't hack it in the Marines. And while he bragged to the guys about those years being the best of his life and about the action he saw as a military sniper, U.S. Marine records show that while he did qualify as a sharpshooter, he never trained as a sniper, nor did he ever get deployed or see action at all. So he's kind of a liar. Yeah, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To make matters worse, things weren't great in Thomas and Cindy's marriage. Though they remained loyal and loving parents and partners, the spark had long ago left the relationship. Thomas was hopelessly impotent. Oh, no. Yeah, his dick didn't work. Like, at all? How did they have babies? at all. I think it just went away after a while, and I think it's maybe more psychological for him, but he did not address it. Like, there's a lot of issues in this story that I think – could have been helped by maybe just getting some Viagra. or Yeah, or psychological help. 
Yeah, going to see a counselor, getting some Viagra, going to couples counseling. There's a lot that I feel like, you know, this is very much a midlife crisis coupled with like something that's going on with his marriage, which it sounds by all accounts that Cindy was an absolutely lovely woman. I think he just expected and wanted more from his life in that way a lot of people do. But I think especially men when they hit like, you know, they're approaching 50, especially, you know? Yeah, that's like, it's like an epidemic right now. <laughs> yeah. So given Thomas's life, it made sense that he would hunger for a different life, and he was attracted to online gaming. There he could win handily the types of card games that he was good at and chat with hundreds of strangers. To those strangers, he could be anyone. So he's literally on Pogo.com playing like online card games and chatting like in Windows to strangers that he's playing with. Yeah. And the anyone that he particularly wanted to be was a younger, more handsome, braver version of himself. Like he wanted to be a real military sniper, hence his name, who loved his country, aimed to be the best of the best, and was Iraq bound after boot camp. So that's that's why he had that online hand. Marine sniper. Yeah. <laughs> Biggest eye roll. So, Biggest eye roll. So one day he found himself in the teen room of Pogo, which is suspect in, his, in and of itself. Yeah. A young woman with the suggestive ID of tall, hot blonde cheekily messaged him and teased him that a Marine sniper was probably in the wrong room, as this is one for teens, obviously. He introduced himself as 18-year-old Tommy, and the two began a hot and heavy online courtship. Oh, no. Yeah, poor Tall Hot Blonde. So Tall Hot Blonde's real name was Jessie, short for Jessica, and she was, as her name advertised, uh, she was a Tall Hot Blonde. <laughs> she was a senior in high school in West Virginia, a sporty beauty who played varsity basketball and softball and was on the homecoming court. Within hours of meeting, Jessie had already I Am Tommy with some really cute photos of herself, including one in a bikini. So Thomas was astounded. Though he had chatted with others alone, no one had been so vibrant, so fun, so open, and yes, so very hot. So Jessie shared her life with Tommy. She had a dad who worked around the clock, a loving stay-at-home mom, and a younger brother. Though she had a lot of friends and potential boyfriends, she grew very close to Tommy and closer than she was to others. She had a thing for men in uniform. And to that end, she really wanted to see Tommy and his. So Thomas sent her an almost 30-year-old photo of himself in marine dress. He sent God, a picture me. of him. No, he sent From the 1970s? Mm-hmm. Isn't that wild? That's disgusting. And she didn't know it was like from the 1970s? I have no idea. I mean, A, she's a teenager. And I'm guessing that she doesn't know, like, what the current Marine uniform was. But I, we're going to share the photo. To me, the photo looks older. Like, I would not be tricked into that. And especially it was, you know, 2005 or 2006 at this point. So it's not exactly like people had, like, old-timey filters on their no. pictures to make them look cool, you know? You're like, oh, it's just an Instagram filter. <laughs> it's just a filter. He's not a million years old. <laughs> Oh no! But this is what yeah, happens. so she's just a for teenager. some reason. Yeah, for some reason she believes him. So soon the two were falling in love. They began even chatting on the phone. So I don't know how he disguised his voice to sound young. 
Ugh. But he would call her only like when his wife was asleep and he would say, sorry, it's like random time, but it's the only time I can get away from boot camp. And like, obviously he controlled when he called her because he told her very clearly, like, you can't call me because it's like on a special line with the military. So he's just making up all of these lies. So he also like creates an entire persona for this Tommy character He tells her that he's never felt love since his mother died of cancer at 12, that he had been hurt in the past by other girls, and he sometimes had suicidal thoughts. And Jesse was very moved by his vulnerability and wanted to be like this loving anchor support system for him. Like she thought he was like crying out for attention and love, and she wanted to be the one who like gave it to him and made sure he was safe, you know? Unbelievable. Yeah, she also sent him like tons of photos that's like in line with what a teenage girl would do. I mean, she had all sorts of like pictures of her playing sports, like ones with her and her friends and like some that were like, you know, posing in bathing suits and like she had a night like this is awkward to say about a high school girl, but she was had a great body. She was very fit, you know, so she, you know, really like had like cute little crop tops and like short shorts and there was like a lot of this that type of photos, you know? Did she look older than her age? No, I mean, she looked 18, but she did not look mature in any capacity. And a lot of the the photos are online and available. And I'm, I don't know if all of them are when she's 18, because I, I think she was like newly 18 when she started chatting with him or like had was about was 17 and about to turn 18 or something like that. Okay. So I mean, some of the other pictures she sent him were probably underage, like at least 16 or 17, you know? Wow. Yeah. So she also told him about how she was unsure of college and what her future held. And she didn't know, like, if she was going to go to college or what she was going to major in. And he told her that he wanted to be her future. Like, he wanted to have a future with her and he wanted to take care of her. And as the relationship deepened, so did Tom's lies. He constructed an elaborate cover story for Tommy, having him graduate boot camp, get shipped out to Iraq, and then become unreachable, deep in enemy territory territory. So he made this like entire world and life for this Tommy character. And then he even like introduced his father, which was like another character that he started being like when she couldn't talk to him because, you know, he was out on a mission, like she would talk to his dad. And it It was was, that's of course, it's also him. Yeah. So he's doing the very classic catfish create yeah. the characters around the story and it's it's really clear that he is getting off on more than just talking to this barely legal girl he's getting off on the idea of being a totally different human who has a totally different life and it's like really bizarre when you watch the documentary because he he's talking he's in jail like spoiler alert obviously he does something bad <laughs> I thought the beginning kind of gave it away, yeah. <laughs> but he's like in prison and he's talking about it and he's like, yeah, and Tommy did this and Tommy did that. And he's like still like into this idea of himself and into this fantasy like way after the fact. It's really gross. Ugh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's also – it's it's really weird. He's just so clearly just this pathetic guy. There's a great psychiatrist on the documentary named Rex Bieber who is talking head and he – who is a talking head. Like he's like, you know, one of the people they interview for the documentary. Yeah. 
And he says, this is a depressed person and a dead-end marriage and a dead-end life, which would be good enough for many, but not good enough for him and certainly not good enough for Marine Sniper. In this fantasy, he had the chance to make a better life. So the documentary maker, uh, Barbara Schroeder, asks him, but how could this be satisfying, knowing that you can never meet in real life and realize the fantasy? And the psychiatrist says something that I think is so brilliant. He says, What's satisfying about any relationship is not what's real, but the fantasy of what's possible. Hmm. Yeah, which is so interesting. And I do think like when you're falling in love with somebody, even when it is real, the fantasy of what is possible between the two of you or what could happen in your life is like actually a huge draw, you know? And I think obviously working hard to try to keep that spirit present in your relationship is what, you know, you need to do in order to maintain happiness. I know. I mean, that's what he should have been doing with his wife. He should have been like at some point he felt that way about her. He felt like his life was beginning. They were starting a life together. They were excited. And then, you know, 16 years down the road, they have the house and they have the daughters and they have the dog. And, you know, you have to work hard to make that still exciting and look at the possibilities of your future together, you know? Yeah. Instead, he gets online and pretends to be an 18-year-old boy. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's obviously like such a easy way out to just escape and pretend to make up a new character. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I'm just going to start over. You can't really do that. (laughs) Yeah. So this becomes very addictive to Thomas. He describes it like a drug. And Jesse gets unwittingly caught up with this middle-aged man. She's chatting with Tommy every chance that they were afforded. And the conversations turn sexual as they are wont to do. And Jesse even loses her virtual virginity to Tommy. Ew, you did not just say that. <laughs> I did. Virtual virginity. Mm. What does that even entail? I think in this case, what they're suggesting is that she was a virgin in real life. And when they had like cyber sex, she mentioned that. So maybe they role played like losing her actual virginity, you know? Yeah, but it's not like her cherry got popped by a non-existent boner <laughs> that he can't have. <laughs> no, no. You know what? We're going to move move right along from this. <laughs> Moving right along. Um, six months into the affair, Jesse wrote in her diary about Tommy. My heart was breaking. He told me that the only reason he had enlisted was to die. I told him to stay alive for me. He asked me to marry him and I said yes. <gasps> Uh Uh-huh. What? He's just catfishing and leading on this girl. So she said, I'm nervous for my first time, but soon I'll be Jessica Montgomery. Oh, girlfriend. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this was about the time also that he introduced her to his father. And this was like the persona that was closer to Thomas in real life, like around the same age, somebody who deeply loved their kid. So if Tommy isn't talking to Jesse because he's on a mission, Tommy's dad is now filling in. And when Jesse wants to send Tommy a care package, Thomas tells her to send it to Tommy's dad's address which is conveniently his own, obviously. Whoa, that is so – he is playing with fire. Mm-hmm. Promising that his dad will get it to him safely, which is also really stupid. It's like, you can't send me something directly, but somehow my father can, you know? Package contains photos of Jesse, some that are of, like, a more provocative nature. None of them are, like, nude, but they're, like – 
they're like sexual in nature alongside a pair of her worn thong panties. Oh, Jesse, darling. Oh, God. So Thomas, living in this fantasy as a young, virile Tommy, finally gets an erection and is able to ejaculate. All over her pictures and thong. Yeah, probably. Oh, gross. It's so gross. Also, the Lifetime movie of this is just so sad and depressing. The The actor is this guy named Garrett Dillahunt um, who was on a show called Raising Hope. He played the dad and it was like such a different character. The dad on that show was kind of like goofy and sweet. And um, this guy is such a creeper and he plays him so well. And so like the scene where he like gets the care package and he's like, <laughs> Oh, oh, it's just like, oh, God, it's so gross. Like, this is why I'm glad I'm not an actor. It's like, okay, now you're a 46-year-old creep, and now you have to jerk off for the first time in a long time in this teenage girl's panties and action. Yeah. <laughs> it's so gross. Oh, God. Okay, so apparently Tommy – Tommy, the alter ego, doesn't have any impotence issues. So one of the craziest things about this entire case is this letter that the police find after he's arrested. They find it in his locker at work. And you are going to die when you hear this letter that he apparently wrote to himself and kept. He wrote to himself Tommy or to himself Thomas? I don't know because – wait, listen to this letter okay, and you sorry, tell me. This letter makes zero sense. Like either he's really psychologically in this and thinks this is possible or it's a wish. I'm really unsure about why he wrote this and saved it. But this is what it says. On January 2nd, 2006, Tom Montgomery, in parentheses, 46 years – ceases to exist and is replaced by an 18-year-old battle-scarred Marine. All paperwork is set, parentheses, i.e. birth certificate, comma, SS card. He is a strong, good-looking, battle-hardened boy. He has money in the bank, parentheses, 2.5 million, ah! and not... Wait, wait, no, wait, that's not even the best part of that sentence. Wait, let me get the whole sentence Okay, okay, out. okay, okay. You're going to die. He has money in the bank, 2.5 million, and a nine-inch penis. You are? Lying. Nine inches. I think that's – I can imagine him, like, writing it and being like, 10 inches. Then be like, no, 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 no. Let's make this realistic. I mean, this letter is real. The police found this. He wrote this. This is in his handwriting. Well, I don't think that – it can't be real because you can't grow your dick. No, you can't make all – like, he can't decide that he's going to wake up an 18-year-old with $2.5 million and a nine-inch dick. Okay, wait. So he is handsome, like a red-haired Harrison Ford. Excuse me? <laughs> like fucking Indiana Weasley over here. Oh, my God. Like, that's the best thing you could come up with. You could be anyone and you're going to be Archie Andrews meets Indiana Jones. Oh, my God. Maybe this was around Air Force One and it was like, you know. 
I think that he thinks he looks like Harrison Ford. There's a reference to this in the Lifetime movie, too, where, like, he describes himself as looking like Harrison Ford to Tall Hot Blonde. And Jesse's like, ew, he's old. Ha ha ha. <laughs> of course she is. <laughs> of course. It's Harrison Ford. Jesus. She's like, uh, I guess he's hot for, like, a dad. Yeah. Why would you pick him? That's weird. So yeah, then he says he is moving to West Virginia to be with the love of his life. So I don't know what the point of this letter was, why he kept it, why it was in his locker, and what he was trying to put in the universe. Like he read The Secret and he's like, maybe I can just will myself to be a rich, big donged 18-year-old. Maybe it's the only thing that gave him an erection. Oh, he read this. Maybe he masturbated to this. Oh, he J-O'd to this, you think? (laughs) J-O'd. Okay, so obviously he's completely untethered from reality at this point, (laughs) clearly. But the fantasy was soon about to be punctured when, in March of 2006, Cindy Montgomery found the package that Jesse had sent Thomas. Real good job hiding Thomas. Oh, yeah. Oh, also gross, gross. Can you imagine you've been married to a guy for 16 years? You guys are pushing 50 and you find a package of teenage pictures and some teenage girl's thong and you realize your husband's been lying to her. And how old are their daughters at the time? They're pre-teenish. Like one is like 13 and one's 11. So they're not that far off. Not okay. Not okay. Yeah. So she's, of course, upset about, like, the ongoing affair, but she's way more disturbed about that. She's way more disturbed that he's talking to somebody who's barely older than their own children. Yeah. Yeah. So Cindy was devastated, and she did want a divorce at this point, but she was concerned about the practicalities of it, like how the girls would take it and also what it would look like to be a single parent on a, you know, single income. So she didn't want to make any rash decisions. So she ended up banishing Thomas to the basement and obviously forbidding him from future contact with the teenager. And she even wrote a letter herself to Jesse, <gasps> which I think was really good. So she wrote – She included a picture of their family. Jesse, enclosed you will find a picture of my family. Let me introduce you to these people. The man in the center is my husband, Tom. There is no Tommy. He is taking advantage of you. You need to be much more cautious with your safety. You will only be hurt by a man who has mastered the art of manipulation and lies. Do not trust words on a computer. So, so sweet of her. Yeah, it's very, like, maternal and caring. You know, she's like, you have been, you know, hoodwinked by this creepy old man, and I want to be clear to you that, like, you should be careful going forward, you know? Yeah, wow, that that was very well written. Yes, so she's she's a sweetheart. We're going to probably put up the family photos because they blurred the kid's face out in the documentary. Cool. Cool. Yeah, so we can probably put that exact photo that she shared up and, and still, like, keep the girl's identity a secret. Cool. Yeah. So, of course, Jessie's in total shock. She can't believe it. She tells Tom she's disgusted with him and grossed out that she's been sexting with a 47-year-old dad, of course. So she's hurt and angry. Thomas is devastated, but he's also kind of slightly relieved he got caught in that weird way. The duplicitousness had been weighing on him, even causing severe panic attacks that led him to believe he was having a heart attack. And he said, this is what he claims. He claims that when he introduced, like, Tommy's dad character, it was like, to slowly be like, okay, Tommy can't talk anymore or even like 
maybe kill Tommy off eventually because he knew that this couldn't last forever. But then he's like, but I was too deep in and I enjoyed it too much. And I just like, he was just a weak asshole and he couldn't do it. Yeah. So yeah. this was a forcing function of making him move on, which was in the best interest of everyone, obviously. For sure. So Jesse and Thomas stopped speaking. And in the absence of talking to him and furious at the betrayal, Jesse seeks out Brian Barrett, who is a 22-year-old co-worker of Montgomery's at Dynabraid. And so apparently they knew each other because Brian also played these online games. And Thomas had mentioned that they like knew each other in real life, which seems really dumb and dangerous for what he was doing. So she knew that he knew uh, Tommy in real life. And she reached out to him over the online games to tell him all about like, how did, did you know that it was this old guy? And like, did you know that I was talking to him like sexually and stuff like that? And Brian was like, oh, Brian, who goes by Beefcake, was yeah. all like, oh my God, absolutely not. I had no idea. Like he had no idea that they were talking to each other like that. He just was like, oh, this is a random other player that we play with sometimes in these chat rooms. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So he was completely grossed out and surprised because he knew this guy at work is like a good family man, a married guy who had like two teenage daughters, basically, you know? Crazy. Mm-hmm. So he is like completely blown away that this is happening. And soon they like they move on from talking about how gross and old he is and how creepy that is into just like kind of chatting about life and playing games together. And then they end up having a flirtation. Obviously, they're, you know, in similar ages. And, you know, he's being completely honest about who he is. He's sharing real pictures. And slowly it moves into more of a romantic situation. And so she starts like sending him photos and he's sending photos of himself back. And they even start to plan a trip for Brian to visit Jesse in West Virginia. Okay. However, unbeknownst to Brian, Jesse is still really angry about Thomas and begins to taunt him about the relationship with Brian. So to Brian, she's like, yeah, he's so gross. I can't believe he did that. It's so creepy. But there's like some streak in her that kind of is like wants to punish Thomas still. So she's like, you're a creepy old man and I'm talking to Brian now. And he's a real 22-year-old and you know it and I know it. And, you know, we are getting really romantic. So she's like kind of still stirring the pot there. Yeah, rubbing it in his face. Mm-hmm. Is and he responsive? Like, oh, yeah, he's – He's responding, which I don't I don't know at this point how his wife hasn't like taken their PC out of the house. The only thing I can think of is that maybe the kids needed it for school and she's also a nurse. So maybe she works overnight shifts or something like some time when she can't be there to monitor him, you know? Yeah, but it's disgusting. So she goes even as far to tell Thomas that she can actually have some type of video chat sex with Brian because they both have computer cameras and, of course, they're actually who they say they are. So that's something that Tom would have killed to do but could not without revealing his identity, of course. That's a dig. That is just rubbing. Just rubbing it in. Yeah. So Thomas had managed to last over two weeks without contact at some point. Like I think between like – the reveal and her building this relationship with Brian until she started like coming back and rubbing it in. But at this point he's like sucked back in and he's 
getting really frustrated. Like he's alternating between like apologizing and being deeply like upset and like lonely and sad with also getting really jealous and angry about what's going on. Okay. So more than anything, he wants to maintain this contact with Jesse, even though the fantasy is kind of burst. And so – like she even at one point is like, I wish that like you were really Tommy. And he's like, obviously I do too. And she's like, well, you know, I've been really mad at you and all this stuff. You know, he's like, I wish we could just start over and be friends. And she's like, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be romantic. We could be friends basically. So she agrees to be friends with this guy. Uh, yeah, bad. bad move. So even as she's saying that she's going to like forgive him and be friends or something, She's totally punishing him with the help of Brian. So Brian and Jesse spend a lot of their time when they're not like sexting, shit talking him. And they start alerting other players that they play with and like admins on the gaming site about what he did, calling him a predator and a loser. And soon he's uh, – Thomas is banned from some of the gaming sites. Good. There should be Which he should be. Mm-hmm. And Brian also tells his supervisors and other colleagues at Dynabraid at work about how Montgomery catfished and sexually harassed a teenage girl. So clearly Montgomery's fantasy life is shattered at this point. His real life and the fantasy life has explosively collided. And now colleagues all know what he's done. And so, of course, like they're looking at him like he's a total creep because he is. And this is something that's going on in his personal life. So his boss is like, can't really do anything about it, but they can absolutely be like, hey, we know what you did and that wasn't cool and don't do it again because it might go against some morality clause in their company. Okay. Um, and he's like definitely not getting invited to like company cookouts and types of things because people, other colleagues are like, I don't want him around my teenage daughter. Yeah. I mean, I don't get how that's not, isn't. I guess she's not. She's eighteen, so she's eighteen. So yeah. she's not legally off limits. Yeah, it's okay. just and like you know, cheating on your wife, especially virtually. Which at this point, I don't know if people really looked at like stuff that happened online as real. They looked at it as creepy, but I don't know if they looked at it as like really being a predator or a cheater or just in general like really really bad at that point. You know? Yeah, it was still also new. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so Brian shares at work that he is he doesn't tell Thomas directly, but he shares it to other colleagues that he's talking to Jesse now and that he's actually going to West Virginia to meet with her. And that, you know, some of the guys are kind of like doing locker room talk and like he hints that things are going to probably become sexual between them. And obviously Tom finds out about this and he is so insanely pissed he's bizarrely obsessed with her virginity like like creep dudes are like her purity and saving herself so gross so beyond gross so he confronts brian aggressively both online and in person at work which does get him a citation because obviously you can't do that and they shared some of the im conversations that you know the police later recovered from between brian and thomas yeah and he said some of the most vile things so when brian is evasive about his plans to meet up with jesse like he's kind of like i don't know maybe i'm gonna go maybe i'm not like he just obviously didn't want to tell him what their plans were because he's such a creeper yeah and he owes him nothing he doesn't have to tell him about his relationship with this girl you know 
Montgomery explodes saying, have fun popping her cherry. And then this is like, I'm going to say like a phrase for it, but he uses the real word. He says, tell your cum-sucking N-word loving little whore to stay the fuck out of my life. Excuse me? I know. I was – this. they just share the IMs on the screen in the documentary and they, you know, they – like that word and I was just like, all of that language is so aggressive and so violent and so imposing and angry and scary. Whoa. So he's terrifying and he's clearly unhinged and he closes the conversation saying, you wanted her, you got her, now stay away. So he's losing it. So meanwhile, Montgomery tells Jesse that Brian is telling everyone at work that they're going to have sex and he's going to like take her virginity. Which you shouldn't do that anyway about any woman ever. Exactly. And it does sound like, you know – Brian was being a little braggy about it. So I feel for her in all of this. But Jesse cancels Brian's visit and she ends up breaking up with him over this and saying that, you know, he's only interested in sex and that's not what she's looking for, which is totally understandable, which she needs to just get away from these men in general. Like, stop talking to these two guys. Go go find some guy in your high school. <laughs> yeah, go to like an ice cream shop and like hang out like a normal teenager. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So she reconnects with Montgomery, telling him that she's done with Brian. He tells her how much, like, the relationship with Brian hurt him, how close he was to physically harming Brian, even killing him. Uh, Huge red flag. I mean, one million. And instead of being alarmed about this behavior, Jesse seems to enjoy the attention. Like, oh, really? Like, you were were so jealous you were going to kill him? You know, like, she's kind of, like, egging him on instead of – being like, you know, like, you're crazy. Exactly. And things take an extra dark turn when Jesse tells Montgomery that she wants him to pretend to be Tommy again because she was so in love with him. And the two at one point even engage in something like cyber sex with him pretending to be Tommy, even though she knows that he's a 47-year-old creeper. Ew. Mm-hmm. Well, the honeymoon doesn't last for long when Thomas discovers that Jesse's talking to other guys online and becomes, of course, threatening and verbally abusive using some of the similar language that he was using with Brian. He tells her he's going to hurt her or send men, specifically black men, only not using that word, to her house to gang rape her. Oh, my God. This this guy is dangerous. And she's still talking to him. So she like goes back and forth where she'll stop talking to him. She'll block him for a couple days. Then she comes back on and talks to him again. It like gets to a point where at some point her mom talks to him and then she's like changes her online name and he changes his so that they can talk to each other again without her mom knowing. And the relationship finally comes to a head when Tom discovers Jesse's MySpace page, which she had apparently not told him about. He sees that she has reconnected with Brian. So I don't know. Maybe Brian was in her top eight. I was going to say, I feel like (laughs) how would you know that on MySpace? It would have to be the top eight. It would have to be the top eight. So, of course, again, he's abusive and frightening in his messages to Jesse. He messages her obscenities like – and these are real IMs taken by the police. You're nothing to me now but a lying whore who only wants Brian's cock in her. Oh, my God. You're saying this to an 18-year-old girl. Yep. 
And at this point, she's finally scared. So she's finally so alarmed that she tells Brian about the threats. And Brian says that he's going to report Montgomery to their supervisors. As the abuse continues, Jesse begs Thomas to let her go. Like, she's just like, this has really gotten like crazy and you need to let me go. You need to let me like live my life. Like, I really wanted to end this as friends, but you're making that impossible. Like, I'm just going to block you and we're never going to talk again. And he's just keeps coming back with these like increasingly violent IMs and like really mean rage filled things. I know, but like she, they opened that door again when Mm -hmm. they did that like simulated cyber sex. Like they should not have done that. Obviously. So after two days of not being able to contact Jesse, and at this point, I don't think she had blocked him. I think she was just ignoring him. So he wasn't getting any response that was just driving him crazy. Thomas takes his military grade weapon, an M1A1 carbine, to the Dynabraid parking lot and stakes out until Brian leaves work. So this was late at night. This is going back to the beginning. This is after 10 p.m. Brian gets into his truck, shuts the door, and Thomas fires three shots through the glass of the driver's side door, killing Brian immediately. Ugh, because this happened on a Friday night and Brian didn't have any plans that weekend, his body isn't discovered for two full days. Oh, no. He's just got involved with this terrible, terrible set of circumstances and this completely unhinged man. So when the truck and body are recovered, the police realize that Brian had been ambushed and very specifically targeted and executed. Brian's truck tires had been slashed to essentially leave him as a sitting duck for Montgomery. So he like tactically went out, slashed the guy's tires. So just in case he, he like – in, yeah. Mm-hmm. Upon the discovery of Brian's body, the police immediately suspect Montgomery. Dinah Braid had already had numerous incident reports about the two men's contentious relationship. So they, um, like, within seconds, they were like, oh, you have to look at Thomas Montgomery. He's this crazy person who always talks about his military experience, and they've been fighting all the time. Yep. So they couldn't immediately find him. And- <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, how big of breadcrumbs are you going to leave? You want to leave the whole loaf? Exactly. Like, yes, this was a loaf. This was definitely a loaf. Just leaving um, loaves of Wonder Bread along the way. <laughs> so they couldn't immediately find him. And in the Lifetime movie, he had come home from the murder and was like, let's go camping to his family and took them camping. And I think in the Lifetime movie, it was to like establish an alibi, but also he kind of knew he was going to get caught. So it was like this goodbye weekend Raw. with his family. Yeah. yeah. But it didn't say that in the documentary. So I don't know if that was real or if I'm conflating, you know, what happened in the Lifetime movie with reality. But for whatever reason, uh, he wasn't home. I don't think his family was home. So they were somewhere potentially camping. And so the authorities are actually at this point really afraid that with him being gone, he actually might be traveling to West Virginia to attack Jesse too. Oh, shit. Yeah, which is a great point. So they immediately, like, as soon as they find the body, they set out to figure out where Jessie lives and what her phone number is and how they can get a hold of her. So using police records, they find her driver's license and they also locate her MySpace page. And they find her and they immediately contact West Virginia officers to go to her home to do a welfare check and to warn her that, you know, somebody she's been talking to online has killed another person and he might be coming for her. And so they go at like six in the morning to uh, her house and Jesse's mother answers the door and she tells the officers that her daughter no longer lives at home and that she doesn't have a 
phone number for her. So she can't be in touch, which obviously strikes the cops as extremely odd that a mother wouldn't have her own daughter's phone number. Yeah, something's up. Very weird. So they keep pressing her and she's like the mother is getting increasingly upset until she's finally crying. She admits she's been using her daughter's name and photos to talk to men on the internet. Double catfish! You are lying! <laughs> yep, so Jesse is real, and everything she said, all of the photos, used her real name, used, like, all of the real details about her life, but the woman that they have been talking to is not the real Jesse. It is Jesse's real mother, 46-year-old Mary Shiler. Oh, my God. It's so disgusting. So she like was a mother. A match made in heaven. Yeah, they actually are like the same age. They're both catfishers. They should have just been like actually sexing each other as their real life, you know? Unbelievable. Yep. So she's a mother using her own real daughter's images as bait. And what's <gasps> really – yeah, oh. think about this for a second. She is sharing – like she had taken photos, like she had gone after photos of her daughter in swimsuits. She had taken upskirt photos of her own daughter without Jesse's knowledge. And she had even tried to trick her daughter into doing suggestive things in videos to send to these men. What about like, the underwear? There was a, that was a, supposedly she took it from her daughter's hamper. Okay, that's so fucked up. That's so fucked up. Up. Did so she, she did go to did she get punished for anything? I mean, isn't that like Well, not really. So we're gonna get into that. So so she did this obviously all so she could get attention from men. Like, oh, let's also talk about the fact that Thomas Montgomery was deranged and she could have gotten Jesse kidnapped or trafficked or killed by a guy she talked to yeah. because she was sharing real life occurrences like when she talked about her daughter's softball games and stuff and it was like hey, I did really well at the softball game today any of these guys could have been like oh she goes to this high school you know because she was sharing pictures of her in her jersey yep. those guys could have figured out where she was and kidnapped her no problem she was yep. putting her daughter in grave danger yeah so in the end only Brian only beefcake himself who ended up murdered over this was being honest about who he was on real yep it's a stupid tragedy perpetrated by two middle-aged sad sacks who weren't happy with their real lives so they had to ruin other people <gasps> sad sacks second sad ass sacks these two unreal uh-huh so finally the police so she get has to be complicit. oh yeah for sure i mean and she egged brian on to like report Montgomery. Yeah. She egged Montgomery on, like, with encouraging him to be angry with Brian. And she, she kept coming- had sexual relations online with a 20-year-old. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Ugh. So Montgomery, of course, denies the murder. But the police found a peach pit with his DNA on it, like, directly at the scene. A peach pit. Like, he's, so he's sitting there staking out the scene, eating a peach. <gasps> Oh, epic. Oh, God. I can't wait to post a peach pit online. <laughs> so there was also shell casings matching the M1A1 that he had owned and previously told a colleague that he would use that gun if he ever killed someone. Oh, God. He's not the brightest crayon in the box, huh? 
Also, guys, if anyone is ever like telling you what kind of weapon they'd use if they were going to kill somebody or shoot up a school or something, just report them because they're a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that that dialogue gets, I don't think that dialogue gets ignored anymore at all. Like, yeah, I, thank I, God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's an immediate red flag. Yeah. And so, all, even though the rifle was nowhere to be found, the investigators discovered photos of that exact weapon in the house. So, essentially, there was a gun rack and it had a the case for the right style gun. And then they went through the house and they found photos of like pictures of the family, like around the gun rack, like not around it on purpose, but like it was in the background and like they could see the gun in the picture. And so like, obviously he disposed of it somewhere, but it was clear that in evidence that he had owned the exact weapon, you know? It's like Um, their family Christmas card around the gun. (laughs) Around the gun rack. (laughs) Around the gun rack. (laughs) Also, Cindy refused to corroborate the story that she had been with him at the time of the shooting. Like, he wanted to say he had been with his family. And she was like, when exactly was it? Yeah, we weren't together. Like, Good for her. Yep. So with the evidence stacked against him, Thomas Montgomery was arrested for the murder of Brian Barrett. It was only then when he was taken into custody that the detectives handed him a photo of Mary and revealed that this not pleasant-looking middle-aged woman was the real Jesse. Oh, I cannot wait to see. Oh, my God. I wish I could have seen his face in that moment to realize, like, the woman he was sexting with, that he was fantasizing it was, like, this hot teenage girl was, like, not even as good looking as his wife. Like, not even close, you know? I really wish, like, they would have just recorded his face. I know. I was like, I wrote down to be a fly on that wall. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. So Montgomery says in the doc – When I found out, I was shocked. I really thought she was an 18-year-old girl. She played the part to a T. She was a great actress. Even the part where she thought she could talk to a combat soldier on a combat mission, sitting in a Humvee with a laptop, playing a game, and talking back and forth, that made me think that she was an 18-year-old blonde who didn't have no sense. So he's still, like, blaming this character. Like, this idea, oh, yeah, I thought she was really an 18-year-old blonde because she was so dumb. Which is, like... It's just all together. He's just gross. Ugh. He's like so well on in- a scale of like one to ten in grossness. He's like a nine point five. <laughs> yeah, he is maxing out grossness. I'm I have a really gross guy for next week, so I would definitely give him a nine point five because I think next we week room. is ten. Yeah, we need room. We need a little room to grow. He's is ugh. He's just caught up in his own world here. So well in custody, Thomas lost a hundred pounds in a matter of months. So how, how much he had did he been, weigh? He was like a stocky like two thirty. He wasn't like a super duper tall guy, but like he was I think like at least six foot. So he got down to an unhealthfully like skinny weight. And he said the reason for this was that his daughters had written him a note cutting off contact and saying that they didn't want to be associated with him. They didn't want to hear from him. And he basically lost hope. He says that he like didn't want to live anymore. So he starved himself and then he managed to get his hands on some sleeping pills. And it's unclear whether he was trying to starve himself to death at first or if he was just losing enough weight that he felt like the sleeping pills would actually kill him. Either way, the end goal was to kill himself. But after he took the sleeping pills, he was discovered and revived. So clearly it didn't work. Um, Poor Tom. At that point, I know. Like, I think it's like we're supposed to feel bad for him. Like, obviously, we do not. 
Uh, we do not, Thomas or Tommy, whatever you'd like to be called. Yep. So his lawyer looked into an insanity defense, but they didn't really have enough to go on. Like so much of this, he obviously did with pre-thought, you know? And Thomas initially really wanted to go to trial, saying that he believed his wife and daughters would eventually back him up with the alibi. But of course, Cindy outright refused and was like, I absolutely wasn't with him. And then it's it's really, really sad, though, because it, they have a recording of him on a prison phone talking to one of his daughters, and he's trying to manipulate her into testifying on his behalf. Um, he's saying, if you don't testify, I'm going to be sent upstate. And this poor child is crying and he's saying you know how much I love you and she's like I love you too dad it's just disgusting and heartless like how he's trying to coerce her into testifying on his behalf and she's just so ripped apart obviously but in the end I think his attorney was on the dock and he said like we basically knew there was no way we were going to get out of this and he ultimately didn't want to put his kids through the trial I mean they they were in middle school or I think the oldest was starting high school and this would have been just terrible for them. They would have been like in the papers, you no. know? Yeah, no. Ugh, just the worst thing he could possibly do. So he ended up deciding to take a plea deal. So he pled guilty to first degree manslaughter and was sentenced to 20 years. So if he it? had chanced it, that's it, 20 years. If he had chanced it at trial, he could have gotten 25 to life, which I think he would have. I mean, I think he would have gotten a long term. So it seems like obviously a good deal. Mary was never brought up on any charges. Nothing. You're lying. Nope. Well, morally, what she did was reprehensible. Legally, there was no – there's no laws about this at this time. Like like you said about the catfish documentary it didn't even exist at this point this was happening in 2007 there wasn't even a term for this you know I know but she was talking with someone with another guy in the middle who that other guy killed I mean it's I don't yeah but she it was like she wasn't even saying you should kill him definitely kill him ha 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 yeah but wasn't there some dialogue where he said he was gonna kill him and she was just didn't report it Exactly. But I don't think that would stand up anywhere legally. I mean, they talked about to one of the detectives and they're like, yeah, she's a terrible person, but she didn't make him pick up the gun and go do what he did, you know, and she didn't, even though he had threatened it before, she didn't necessarily know that he was going to do it. She didn't have any foreknowledge of it in that exact event, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't like it either. You know, this ruined the lives of so many people, especially the Barrett family, which was like, oh, they're on the documentary. And they're just like this wholesome, sweet, loving family who like completely was like blaming themselves. Like the father worked with computers. So he's like, I blame myself for having a computer. I blame myself for encouraging him to get the job at Dynabraid. Like the, the they're just beside themselves. So you don't think your eldest child is going to get killed by a crazy 47-year-old man. Yeah, and and then what really was crazy to the parents is that they were of similar ages to the two perpetrators in this. Like, they were also parents themselves. Like, the mother just can't believe it. Like, how could that woman do that to her daughter? How could a man who has teenage daughters 
do this to another teenage girl and then kill a 22 year old boy. No, it's, it's you know, it's it's impossible to think about somebody who's like also a parent like you and your peer that they would behave like this, you know? Yeah. Any sane yeah. peer wouldn't. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So the Barrett family, keeping Brian's memory alive and fighting to change laws that affect the legality of internet fraud and manipulation. So since the doc aired, I couldn't really find like that they'd done anything specific. So I don't know where they got with that mission or what they changed, but it seemed like they wanted to be out of the the publicity at that point. So I didn't like look up where they are or anything. I just respected the fact that it seems like they don't want to be in the media anymore. So also deeply negatively affected by this tragedy was, of course, the real life Jesse, Mary's daughter, and Mary's husband, Tim. So Tim appears in the documentary and he had no idea about any of this until she was subpoenaed to appear before the grand jury in the case. So even when she's like, hey, I have to get on a plane to go to New York for this case, which I guess was the first time, first and only time in her life she'd ever been on an airplane. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Let's talk about boo. What a trip. Um <laughs> Um, Even then, when she told him why she had to go, she omitted a lot of relevant details. She told her husband she'd been innocently chatting with two men on a gaming site, and it wasn't romantic or sexual, and one of the men had mental issues and killed the other one in jealousy over a made-up, in-his-head, non-existent-in-real-life relationship. And Jesse's his daughter? Yes, that's their daughter together. So Tim was shocked. She left out, also very conveniently left out, that she had used, you know, she made it sound like she was personally as his wife talking to these men as herself. And so he was like, well, this is really strange, but okay. But then he became heartbroken and extremely disgusted when his daughter Googled the case. Like, basically – They were talking about how it's really weird that her mom was involved in this case. And she, of course, being, you know, a young person, Googled the case and discovered that her photos were being used in like newspaper articles and they were online. And the media had found like her MySpace uh, uh, profile and was like taking pictures from it and talking about her. Oh, so she was. I know that poor girl. So she was completely devastated. And she like even approached her dad and was like, did you know about this? She was like, he had to convince her that he had no idea. Like he wasn't in on it. I mean, this is such a betrayal from the people that are supposed to keep you safe and love you. Yeah. You know? And so he even cries in the documentary discussing that moment, how his wife had violated their daughter's privacy how she had virtually pimped her out. I mean, that's what she did and put her in harm's way. So police seized Mary's computer and discovered thousands of photos of Jesse that Mary had collected and some posed and some surreptitiously taken without Jesse's knowledge or consent. And those photos were sent to hundreds of men, hundreds. She had been talking to incredible number of men and just flirted. That's like when she talked to Thomas within the first couple hours of them chatting, she was like, do you like this? And sent a bikini photo. Oh my God. And she was just mm-hmm. saying that with everyone. Yep. So she was just sending strangers just the most provocative photos of her daughter she could find. I mean, that's why he never got any nude photos because she, she probably would have 
sent them if she could have gotten her hands on them. Wow. That's disgusting. She's up there too. She's at like a 9.5 too. Yeah, she is gnarly. So obviously Tim immediately divorced Mary. Go Tim. And he and Jesse no longer have any contact with her. Jesse says that she has never received an apology or an explanation from her mother. No, sorry. Your mom's a psychopath, Jesse. Ugh. So Rex Bieber, the psychiatrist on the show, talks about forgiveness and the healing process. And he says, don't forgive those who are not repentant. And I agree with him. I mean, I, I think that you need to decide for your own journey if it it heals you to forgive the people who might have, you know, hurt, assaulted, or violated you. And if you want to forgive this and you know it's something that will heal you, I think it's a great idea. But if the person who hurt you is unrepentant and it will cause you more grief to have to make yourself forgive them and work through it, then fuck them and fuck forgiveness. Yeah, and obviously never forget. Yeah, never forget. Like Brittany and Justin's denim outfit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I forgive that either. Yeah. (laughs) As of the close of the 2009 documentary, Mary was living with her parents and still denying her nefarious motivations. She said her husband worked all the time and she was lonely and sad and wanted attention. (laughs) Okay, also get this. She also said that she knew Thomas Montgomery was talking to teenagers. So by talking to him, she was doing an altruistic thing by preventing him from talking to real teens. Oh, shut your mouth and buy a vibrator. (laughs) Yeah, that's the tagline of this episode. Shut your mouth and buy a vibrator. So Mary's son is still in touch with his mother and says she still spends massive amount of time online. And it worries him, as it should. So I believe she's since changed her name, uh, both because of the divorce and due to the notoriety. So I couldn't find any up-to-date information on her. Like her real name, not just her handle. Yeah, so her real name was Mary Shiler, but her name Shiler was her husband's name. So I don't know if she's changed it since or she's just really laying low um so tim and jesse have moved on and are healing last reported jesse was in college and tim was dating again so i hope they both found the happiness and the success in life that they deserve oh those poor two people and what about cindy I don't know what happened to Cindy. Cindy and her daughters really wanted to stay out of the whole thing, which is understandable. She did divorce Thomas eventually, clearly. So hopefully they're all doing okay. I hope she met somebody really, really nice. I bet she did. It seemed like she came across really, really sweet in that letter. Ugh, and that letter went to the mom. Yes, the letter went to the mom. And she was like, instead of being like, she should have been like, hey, dude, you know what? I've been catfishing you too. Let's just like talk to each other, you know? But she kept it going. That's the also the crazy thing is she had an opportunity to come clean like and be like, you know what? We're the same. We're in the same boat. We both – let's talk about a shared experience of wanting to live a different life, you know? Yeah, but that's like that doesn't cut it for the fantasy, you know? No. Wow. Ugh. It's impressive. So Thomas Montgomery is still locked away in Attica. Doesn't sound like a pleasant place to be. Ugh. His earliest release will be January 2024, (gasps) and there's going to be a parole hearing about it in November of 2023. So three years, there's going to be a hearing. So yeah, that is the story, and it's time to get the taste of that story out of our mouth with Wikipedia Fun Facts. (laughs) 
So the 2012 <laughs> Lifetime movie was directed by none other than some people's favorite friend, Courtney Cox. Shut your mouth. What? Yes. <laughs> Courtney Cox directed and produced the Lifetime movie, and she even cameos in it as a co-worker of Cindy's, who is called Carol in the movie. Is this is this so first of all, this is her just dipping her toe in directing and producing? I guess so. I think she also gets some credits on um a show she had uh called Cougar Town. I think she did some of the directing and producing on that too. Is this so this is post New Face? Yeah, Nathaniel watched with me, which he deeply regrets my involvement in this podcast because he has to watch a lot of really bad Lifetime movies and true crime <laughs> shows when he'd rather be watching something else. He was like, oh, what happened to her face? And I was like, I think fillers. It's so confusing, especially to men. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's just like plastic surgery, you know, or fillers or something. And he's like, what? Why? Why? It's like it doesn't connect. <laughs> and okay, second Wikipedia fun fact is that the composer on the Lifetime movie is a certain Aaron Baron Cohen. So I was like, I had to look it up because I was like, what? Baron Cohen? Sasha? Oh, yeah. He is Ali G's older brother. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. So I always thought like Sasha Baron Cohen was like, Baron was like a middle name. Nope. It's a last name. And he has an older brother. Hyphenated last name. No hyphenated. Just Baron Cohen. Baron, really? Yeah. No, I don't think there's a hyphy. Yeah. What was his so other? That's, that's what was his other show? It was Ali G and Bo Rat. I mean, I only know the movies, Bo Rat, yeah. and Bruno. Yeah, and I guess his brother, actually, this guy Aaron, does all of the music for all of his films and did it for the series. Sounds right. Yep. So that is it. I'm really, really excited for the next few weeks. We have a fall that is going to be. So amazingly packed with crazy stories for you guys. Like I have mostly been trying to find stories that are a little under the radar, but there's going to be some bigger names in cases coming up and some really effed up people. And I think you guys are going to love it. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm so excited. In closing, if you find yourself bereft in middle age, get a hobby. A hobby that's not catfishing. Don't leave your peach pits lying around. <laughs> Definitely don't. Even in a non-murder situation, it's just not polite. <laughs> it's just gross. It's, it's rude. <laughs> yeah. Litter. And, yeah. and as always, remember, we're all just one bad relationship away from getting murdered. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>